Hello and welcome. This is Footy Time and I'm Daniel Andrews. Today we'll be having a look at the 2013 Grand Final. This is the first in a series of podcasts looking back at past Grand Finals from the past decade. And when we do eventually get some footy back, we'll be able to review matches of the round, looking at the best games each week. We've also got some interesting segments coming up. One's called Frozen in Time. Imagine you're going to take a moment that happened in the game to show someone in 50 years. So that's going to be the uh, thought behind Frozen in Time. It'll be interesting to see what actually gains that Frozen in Time status. It'll be quite a collection, I'm sure. And we've also got some footy time trivia where we pick some interesting facts relating to the game that we're reviewing. And uh, you can have a play along at home as well, which will be a bit of fun. So just a little bit about myself before we dive into the 2013 Grand Final. I'm a long-suffering Melbourne supporter, as really all Melbourne supporters are these days. But I've managed to start to find a bit of joy in appreciating when other teams are able to play good football. I've also been lucky enough to have gone to all the Grand Finals since 2010. What a game that was, eh? Drawn Grand Final between Collingwood and St Kilda. There won't be any more Drawn Grand Finals though, will there? The AFL changed the rule on that, and now it's just a golden point if uh, scores a deadlock after a bit of extra time. So how exactly did it come to be that it would be Frio and Hawthorne who were duking it out for the 2013 Premiership Cup? We'll start with Fremantle. It's a bit surprising that they even got there, right? Fremantle couldn't even win a final for so many years, and now they'd all made it all the way through to the grand final. How did it happen? Well, Fremantle supporters really do have Ross Lyon to thank for this. They became an uncompromising team that was very hard to beat. Obviously defence first, but every player played to their role and they knew exactly what they were doing. They had to go to Geelong though in the first week of the finals in a qualifying final. Geelong had successfully lobbied to make sure that this game was at Caninia Park. This was only possible because all of the other finals that week were actually being played at the MCG. So normally Geelong always has to play all their finals at the MCG. So this was a bit of a win for them. But after all that hard work to get the game where they wanted it, it didn't really matter because Freo came out breathing fire. It wouldn't have mattered where they were playing. They were men possessed and jumped along early and managed to hold on for a 15 point win. This then gave Freo a home prelim against Sydney of all sides. But Frio did enough to get over the line by over 20 points in this one. So they booked their first ever grand final berth since entering the competition in 1995. But that's only one side of the ledger here. We've also got Hawthorne. It was a lot less of a surprise that Hawthorne was there. They'd been the dominant team really for the last three years, but didn't have a Premiership Cup to show for it. Their game plan centered around highly skillful players that were able to use both sides of their body. So this allowed them to pull off short passing, high possession game that allowed them to pick their way through opposition defenses. It did help that they had a lot of exquisitely talented left footers. Their road into the grand final was probably even harder because in the preliminary final, they came up against Geelong. And this game was so much more than a game in a lot of ways. It was the Kennett Curse game. Could they break the Kennett Curse? For those of you who don't know what the Kennett Curse is, 
After the 2008 Grand Final, where Hawthorne upset Geelong, Jeff Kennett, Hawthorne president at the time, came out with some quite outlandish comments saying that Geelong lacked the mental fortitude that they required to beat Hawthorne when it mattered most. This led to the Geelong players getting together and vowing that they would never lose to Hawthorne again. No one really thought much of it at the time, but the wins started to pile up. Geelong always came out on top, even though most of the games were really close in fantastic games in their own right. But by the time we got to the 2013 preliminary final, Geelong had won the last 11 against Hawthorne. And would this be number 12, the most crushing of them all? As we know, Hawthorne did manage to get through that game, although it was another epic. It was actually Geelong leading late into the last quarter by around 15 points, I think, before Hawthorne's side, inspired by Sean Burgoyne, was able to get the chocolates. And the chocolates in this case were a date with Fremantle in the 2013 Grand Final. So it's time. Let's get into the 2013 Grand Final. It was pretty obvious early that there was a golf in class here. Hawthorne looked assured. Frio looked wobbly. Every time Hawthorne got the ball, they were very purposeful. Whereas Frio really did look a bit shell-shocked. And it was really the Hawks' game plan that stood out, using those short kicks to both maintain possession, but also to get through Frio's defence when there was a chance. And this allowed Hawthorne to kick the first goal through Gunston, who marked about 25 out, and kicked truly. Freer had their chances too. At the other end, it was a young Nat Fife who was taking some strong contested marks inside 50. Unfortunately for Freer, he was just a little bit too far out for them to be easier kicks. He was kicking from 45 out on an angle each time, and both times the ball went out in the full. It was really unfortunate, actually, because if either of those had gone through, it would have really settled Fremantle, and we would have known that they were up for the fight. They were up for the fight, though, really. They were cracking in hard, tackling hard, but it just wasn't happening for them, and it ended in a goalless first quarter. Looking on the bright side, they had held Hawthorne somewhat, and they're only down by a couple of goals. So even though they hadn't actually scored a goal, they were still in the game. So in the second quarter... It was actually Hawthorne who started stronger. A little bit of a shame, really, because the game really could have used Freo being the ones who got on top early. But it wasn't to be. It was Hawthorne with their exquisite kicking that made sure that they were going to stay on top. And it was mainly through Gunston kicking two goals that they were able to do this and extend their lead to four goals. What a pick-up he was, eh? Getting him over from Adelaide while he was still young. And now he's kicking plenty of goals on grand final day for Hawthorne. It was a great bit of play where the Hawks were able to explode down the wing. They were using their precise kicking to get each player into space. And this possession chain ended with Jack Gunston nearing the 50. And as he broke 50, he unleashed a beautiful kick, which was so straight that it almost landed on top of the goal umpire. And you knew the Hawks were rolling now. Freo were able to respond though this time. It was actually Mzunga who marked out near the 50 on an angle. He took it upon himself by unleashing an arrow straight kick to get Frio their first goal. I'm thankful they did, because the scoreboard reading 1-6-12 at halftime still isn't pretty, but it's much better than a goalless first half, particularly in a grand final. This does tell us a bit though, because the Hawks' defence was clearly on top. We had Brian Lake and Luke Hodge making sure nothing much was getting through, and when Frio did get their chances, 
it was pretty wide and also a fair way out. So the Hawks were defending well as a unit as well, not giving up any easy shots. It's time now for some footy time trivia. So this is where you get a chance to play along at home and test out your footy knowledge. You reckon you know a bit about footy? Well, these questions are a little tricky, so see how many of them you can get right. So our first footy time trivia question today is who was Fremantle's first finals victory over? Was it A, Richmond, B, Melbourne, or C, West Coast? Give you a little time to think about that. So what did you go for? A, B, or C? Well, it was actually, pains me to say, B, Melbourne. Subiaco Oval in 2006, the semi-final. Fremantle got over Melbourne in, uh, wasn't really even close in the end. Melbourne got smashed, actually. Uh, and turned out that that was Melbourne's last finals appearance for about 12 years. Well, not about 12 years. It was 12 years. Footy time trivia question number two. Listen closely to this one because it's a bit unusual. So how many non-winning grand finals has Ross Lyon coached as of April 2020? Again, I'll give you some multiple choice. A1, B2, or C4? For bonus points, which years did these take place as well? Again, have a bit of a think. Okay, so what do you reckon? Well, the correct answer was actually C4. This is a little bit tricky because there was actually, as well as 2009, there was two in 2010. So there was the St Kilda draw and then the loss the next week in 2010 as well to Collingwood. So there's three there. And spoiler alert, although I'm sure you all know this, Hawthorne win this game. So 2013 is also on the list, unfortunately, for Ross Lyon. There's been a lot of debate over the years whether Ross Lyon's game plan and the way he sets up his team is really conducive to actually winning grand finals. There's always a bit of a tail in these teams in terms of the bottom six players. They're not usually as strong as the opposition they're playing against, particularly once they get through to the grand final. So I guess time will tell whether he's ever able to break through for a grand final. It'll be harder to do without a job currently though. How are you going with these questions so far? They're not that easy, are they? That's a bit of the fun. That's why it's footy time trivia and not just trivia. That might be a little easier. <laughs> All right, so next question, question three. So since the VFL became the AFL in 1990, which team has won the most grand finals? And if you want to play along for a bonus point, how many particular flags has this team actually won? So we'll give you multiple choice again. So we've got A, Geelong, B, Hawthorne, C, West Coast, and D, Brisbane. So what did you go for? Of course, it had to be Hawthorne, right? We're talking about Hawthorne winning a grand final. And yes, they have won the most since the AFL was established in 1990. They won in 91 upset Geelong in 2008, and of course the three-peat starting with the 2013 Grand Final. What about the other teams though? How many did they win? Well, 
West Coast have been one of the great teams as well of the AFL era. They're on four. And then we've got Geelong and Brisbane tied with three each. Of course, Brisbane's was the three-peat of the early 2000s. And many still believe this Brisbane team was the greatest team of the modern era. So for our final footy time trivia question of the day, we've actually got one about mergers. Of course, mergers aren't too popular in the AFL. And uh, not too many have been successful of the ones that are proposed. So we've actually got a question today about a merger that thankfully never took place. So in 1996, there were discussions about Melbourne and Hawthorne perhaps merging. And what was the proposed club name of this merged club if it were to have existed? So was it A, the Melbourne Hawks, B, the Melbourne Devils, C, the Hawthorne Demons, or D, East Melbourne? Bit of a tricky one here. So it's quite a niche piece of knowledge if you actually know this. So we'll see how you go. So it was actually A, the Melbourne Hawks. So I guess you were never going to get rid of Melbourne as the name because, you know, all the clubs are from Melbourne, you know. But anyway, that's a whole nother thing. It never happened, which is probably a good thing. But if you want to delve a bit deeper into this, there is quite an interesting song, which was going to be the song for the Melbourne Hawks. It's really just a bastardized version of the two songs that currently exist, but it is an interesting listen. Alright, so after that bit of trivia, we're ready to jump back into the 2013 Grand Final. So we left off at half-time, so just a recap. Hawks have Freo on the ropes, really. So let's see what Freo can do about that. So thankfully, it was actually Freo who started the stronger in the third. They had some good stoppage dominance. It really started to count. Their monster, Aaron Sanderlands in the middle, getting it down to Fife and Mundy. Mundy was particularly prolific. But what really helped was Pavlich. Pavlich started coming into the game, started getting on the end of some kicks with some nice marks, and he was delivering well inside 50 as well. Fremantle looked like a different side. But why was it so different? Why did they have the capacity to play well and actually get some efficiency out of their inside 50s? Well, it was actually because they decided, well, Ross Lyon decided, I suppose, to go one-on-one all over the ground. So instead of going to an outnumber each time they were going inside their 50, now it was even numbers, and the Freo forwards had a fighting chance. So this allowed Freo to put some score on the board pretty quickly. Hawthorne did respond, though, and they were getting goals just when they needed to, to keep their noses in front. But in this good bit of play that... Uh, Freo was having, they had all the momentum. And one of their more mercurial players, Walters, actually got a couple of marks inside 50 as well to put through some goals. One of them actually came as a result of a bit of a side on Specky where he used his leg to uh, shield the ball. And it was a great moment where he just sprung up and took the mark. And he was able to finish it off as well, which was great. So Freo are actually able to close into just three points with this dominant period in the third. But as often does happen with really good sides, they find a way of getting a goal when they really need it. And that's exactly what Hawthorne did. There was a little bit of umpire assistance, though, in this case. Ruffhead got a bit of a dodgy free kick. The tiniest push in the back, and then Ruffhead slotted it from 30 straight out, extending the lead back out to 10 points. A bit of breathing room at three-quarter time. (laughs) 
after a tight tussle early in the last quarter. It was the Hawks who had a chance to extend their 10-point lead. It came about when Isaac Smith marked just outside 50. Although Isaac Smith is known as a long kick, it was going to be a very difficult shot. Wasting no time at all, he wheeled around on the left and launched a huge kick that carried the line near goalpost height. And the Hawks had the breathing space that they needed, with the lead out to 16 points. This was the start of a dominant period for Hawthorne. The forward half dominance that the Hawks enjoyed during this period was largely due to the wall they had set up behind the ball. Brian Lake was taking intercept mark after intercept mark and getting the ball going back Hawthorne's way to give them many chances to get inside 50 and eventually get it on the board. One of the best bits of play during this period was when the Freo Ruckman Sanderlands got the ball down inside the Hawks 50 only for Bruce to hit the pack at full speed and quickly get the ball on the boot to put it straight through the middle. During this time, the Hawks were able to get the lead out to 30 points, and it really looked like the game was as good as over. Out of nowhere, Freo got a bit of ball going back their way. Freo were able to close in, kicking a few quick goals. They had a couple more chances too, but a couple of fumbles and near misses meant that the margin remained at 15 points. As they so often do, Hawthorne were able to steady the ship once they got the ball back, and they went into full shutdown mode for the last five minutes of the game. This ensured that Frio wouldn't have any more chances. And that was it. The Hawks had done it. They were the 2013 Premiers. After three dominant seasons, they finally held the Premiership Cup. So of course it was Brian Lake who won the Norm Smith Medal for his great job in defence. But I'm going to take you now through my three turn one of most influential players. So this isn't necessarily the best player, but the players I feel had the most impact on the result. So the fact that Hawthorne won, who were the players who had the biggest impact on the fact that Hawthorne won? Three votes to Jack Gunston. He did set it up early with his goals, and he was the focal point that Hawthorne really needed. And of course, he's a great kick for goal, which meant that he was taking his chances when they came about. Two votes to Brian Lake. He really shored up Hawthorne's somewhat shaky defence of previous years and was taking great intercept marks as well to get the ball going back Hawthorne's way. This might surprise some of you because the stat sheet won't show it, but Brad Hill is actually my one vote. His poison skill gliding along the wing was great to see and his delivery inside 50 was perfect, setting up Jack Gunston multiple times. Much of the discussion after the game centred around how good Hawthorne actually were. Obviously, they'd been a great team for a few years now, but could this continue? What was to stop them winning grand finals in the years to come? These were also the years of compromised drafts, so it was going to be harder for other teams to actually improve quickly. And Hawthorne, as they do, kept going back to the well, topping up by bringing in mature age players like Brian Lake and James Frawley, filling the gaps in their star-studded team. That freezing sound effect can only mean one thing. It's time for our first frozen in time moment. So what's it gonna be? Well, I didn't have to search too hard for this one. It comes early in the last quarter when Freo was still putting up a bit of a fight and Isaac Smith had a long shot at goal. Hawthorne were able to control the ball well away from a stoppage, leading to Sewell having a bit of space, able to deliver to Isaac Smith 
who marked about 51 metres out from goal. He didn't waste much time. Before anyone could even think what he was going to do, he was wheeling around at the left and launched a massive bomb. It was so big that it almost carried the line goalpost height. The Hawks now had a little bit more breathing space and a signature moment for this grand final. So what would your frozen in time moment have been from this game? Was it the same as mine? Or maybe something different? Let me know on the Footy Time Facebook page, or you can also email me at footytime210 at gmail.com. Or one word, footy time, and then 210 in numbers. Why 210? Well, it's the traditional start time for footy at the MCG, of course. So now that we have Danny on board, I thought it might be fun to go back and record some true and false and also alternate history for the grand finals that we covered in earlier episodes. So the first one we're going to have a go at is the 2013 grand final, of course, between Hawthorne and Fremantle. So let's jump straight into it. True and false for this grand final. Daniel, Fremantle got stage fright in the first quarter. True or false? I think this is 100% true, Danny. So although they were going in hard and tackling hard, they just didn't have the composure. I didn't count the number of fumbles, but there would have been a lot of them. And when they did get a few shots at goal, they weren't being able to put it on the board either. So a couple of tough shots are memorable from Fife, who marked it about 40, but just couldn't really get anything going. And uh, I think it did actually cost them in this game. I, I think in a low-scoring grand final, it's easy to f- see composure as a big, big uh, weakness. For sure. And obviously for Fremantle playing in their first grand final, it was always going to be hard to start well. But... Uh, I guess even if they'd just got a couple more goals in that first quarter, it might have changed the game. Danny, Ross Lyon's game plan is not conducive to winning grand finals. I think this is much talked about, but I think this is false. If you look how close he's gotten in his grand finals, a ball bounces a different way for St Kilda, or a few extra goals get kicked in against Hawthorne, they win two grand finals. I don't think I think his game plan definitely stands up in grand finals. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Danny. I'd say this is false as well. It's kind of an easy scapegoat to go to to say Ross Lyon's game plan doesn't, uh, you know, do it in grand final because he hasn't won one and, you know, it's not the most attractive game plan. But I think if you just look at the facts, really they could, he could have won almost all the grand finals he's been in. 2009, 2010, that drawn grand final, ball bounces the other way, St Kilda win. So I don't think we can say that Ross Lyon's game plan isn't going to win grand finals. Daniel, the Hawks needed Brian Lake to win the 2013 Premiership. I would say this is true, Danny. So the defence looked a lot better with Brian Lake there, just that one more big body. And uh, obviously in this game alone, he actually ended up winning the Norm Smith medal. So he was an incredibly important part of the Hawks team. Yeah, I believe he was a a very crucial player because Hawthorne had really lacked that tall key defender. and I I think they would have really struggled on the defensive line if they didn't have Brian Lake. Yeah, they look like a much better balanced team within there for sure. To you, Danny, this is very apt, I think. The 2013 flag makes up for the disappointments of the 2011 and 2012 seasons for Hawthorne. I'm not sure it makes up for it, but it certainly does help ease the disappointment. So we're going with true or false? I'm going false. I, th- I don't think one makes up for two losses. Losing any you know huge game, I don't think you can ever really fully get over that. Just ask the Geelong players from 2008. No, no. I don't think 2009 or 2011 made up for losing 2008. Daniel, the Hawthorne forward line 
being less Franklin-centric um, functioned better in 2013 than it did in 2012? To me, this is true. So I think for one reason or another, there was an obvious move by Clarkson to spread the load a bit. And it basically meant that if Franklin had an off day, that Hawthorne still had a very good chance to win games. And so it turned out in the 2013 grand final. Franklin didn't have a big impact, but it really didn't affect Hawthorne too much. I think this was also complemented by um, Gunston being and Cyril Rioli being, both being a year older, being more mature. I think it gave them the ability to take more of the responsibility. It's time now for alternate history. So how could this game have changed to mean that Fremantle would have won their first Premiership Cup? To me, really, the only way that Fremantle was ever a realistic chance of winning this game was to get a fast start. I know it's asking a lot from an inexperienced team in a grand final in terms of not having been there before, but I really think they needed to get the Hawks on the back foot and try and invite some of those ghosts from seasons past to fill the Hawthorne heads and start to get them to doubt themselves. And Fremantle did have the capability to do this. As they showed in the actual game in the third quarter, they could get some dominance going through the midfield. So in my version, we get the fast start for Fremantle on the back of the dominant Sanderlands, Mundy and Fife through the midfield, getting the clearances and kicking to one-on-one contests where Ross Lyon has decided to go one-on-one all over the ground to give the forwards the best chance. This allows Pavlich and Walters to get on the end of it, looking quite dangerous, and kicking five goals to two in the first, Frio are well on their way. So now that Frio are in the game, they start to grow in confidence. They start to believe. Channeling their performance from a few weeks ago down at the Cattery, they become human wrecking balls, trying to get the ball moving their way any way they can. Of course, the Hawks do eventually steady, but by this time, Frio's already built a 28-point lead in the second quarter. And again, while they're more competitive in the second half, Frio's able to maintain the stoppage dominance, getting it to their forwards, Pavlich and Walters, who kick four apiece. All in all, Frio lead from start to finish and go on to win the game by 13 points and seal their first Premiership Cup. What do we reckon, Danny? Could this have happened? Yeah, I believe it could, but that's not my alternative history. I believe the way that Fremantle could have won this game was to really utilise Sanderlant in the ruck. He dominated the ruck. He won 55 of the hitouts, but they only won 11 um, centre clearances for the game. It just doesn't add up. I think for them to win, they needed to make the most of most of uh, Sanderlant's tap work and uh, got on top of the clearances. And that would have changed the game. I think the fact that Hawthorne won 42 clearances, they just didn't utilize what they had in the ruck. If Fife had spent more time around the ball than going up forward, it could have been a different game. Yeah, so I guess there's some similarities there to what I was saying in terms of uh, Fremantle making use of that midfield dominance. So they really only had it in the sort of first half of the third quarter in the actual game, but the game looked completely different. So if they could find a way to get, you know, that stoppage dominance that you were talking about, then it would have made things a lot harder for Hawthorne. I agree. Maybe if the AFL had have uh, stopped the third man up a bit earlier, it might have been a different game. Perhaps, perhaps. But uh, what about the point of, uh, you know, Fremantle's slow start? Is, was, do you reckon that's too much to ask for the first grand final that they're playing in to get that fast start? Could that have happened? Yeah, perhaps, but they still did manage to come back into the game in the third quarter. They were well, they came within points of Hawthorne. So three I, points, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure that was the, the, the defining moment. If they'd kept the momentum they had in the third quarter going, they would have won the game there too. 
So what are we going to go with? Are we going to go with uh, your stoppage dominance or are we going to go with my uh, Fremantle leading from start to end? What gets the votes here? I'm going to go vote for myself in this one because I, I think it's hard for a team playing in their first grand final to get that, that first quarter dominance. But I think you can look at what, what, they, what strength they had. They just needed to utilize. All right, Danny, I'm willing to go along with that as well. I think it makes a lot of sense. Hawthorne didn't have the strongest Ruckman, and if Frio could have exploited that, that was probably one of their best chances to win this game. Thank you so much for listening. So tune in next time for more footy time, where we look at that 120 minutes of the next grand final in the sequence that we're going to have a look at, which is the 2016 grand final between Sydney and the Western Bulldogs.